We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. Jack, what's up? Well, I'm angry, Nick. Basketball sucks sometimes. Yeah, it was a rough night for the Nets. Obviously, they lost 118-105 in San Antonio, but they got some bad news on the injury front. David Nawaba suffered a torn Achilles tonight. Gruesome stuff. We'll dive into it from all angles, but quick reminder, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, otgbasketball.com, netsrepublic.com, and Blue Wire Pods. But, Jack, where do you want to start? Let's start with David Nwaba, Nick. It's the the thing that made me most deflated. I mean, it, it sort of reminds me a little bit of when Karis Vest suffered his injury last year. And, but we know now that, you know, coming back from a torn Achilles is one of the worst basketball injuries that you can come back from. And we might not see David Nwaba in a Brooklyn Nets uniform, which is just so sad to think about. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, we wish him a speedy recovery, and there's so many other, you know, more important things in life. But, you know, he's just done so much for this team. He provided so much energy. You know, he was engaging. He was just doing so much. And to have the, the basketball guards take it away from him in an instant, is, it, just, it just seems cruel. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it really sucks for David Nawaba because this was a great role for him. He was finding a niche on the Nets, and I think this would have been a career year. Maybe he's put up better numbers in, you know, L.A. or Chicago or Cleveland, but he was actually impacting winning basketball in Brooklyn, and he was providing the team with some great energy defensively. And, you know, I tweeted out before the injury, you could instantly feel his impact when he was on the floor, you know, with steals, toughness. It just felt like he was on the floor for five seconds. He was going to bang bodies with somebody. And the Nets are going to miss him. And like I said, you know, it's going to hurt the Nets. But you feel for David Nwaba because, like you mentioned, Jack, torn Achilles are extremely tough to come back from, especially for a guy that relies on being tenacious and explosive. Like his best skill isn't shooting or anything like that. He really needs his athleticism. He does, and and hopefully, you know, maybe KD gives him some some inside tips, and both of those guys can come back bigger and better than ever. It's just disappointing to hear. And Bobby Marks has tweeted out a few different things. So David Nwaba has a 1.8 million non-guaranteed contract for 2020. 2021, which is has a trigger date of the 7th of July. However, because of the rules of salary continuation, Brooklyn or a different team would be responsible for this salary if he's waived until he returns to the court. So 
Maybe Joe Sy pays him out of, of goodwill. I certainly would love that. And even if it means going to luxury tax, but I'm a billionaire and this guy's just giving it all to my team. You know, what's an extra couple of million dollars uh, on the dollar at the end of the day? But it's it's sad, Nick. It's, I mean, uh, it's for me, as much as, as bad as the performance was and as you know, good as Spencer was, it's weird for me to say about, you know, a quote-unquote role player for, to sort of be the lingering storyline, at least in my head. As, as poor as the performance was in so many ways, this just sucks. And maybe because I'm just a massive David Nwaba fan as well. Yeah, no, it definitely does. I think it just sucks overall for him because you could see him coming to the niche. It wasn't like this was an amazing season from the start. You know, he was getting minutes. He was benched. He was in the doghouse, worked his way back in. Then he's finally starting to do something. And then this happens to him. And I mean, I was going to ask you tonight, like since Spencer's in the starting lineup, Garrett Temple's in the starting lineup now, has David Nwaba been the best bench player over the last two weeks? I would say so. Yeah, I, I would certainly say at that. least consistency wise, you know what you're getting every night in terms of like the defensive energy and you know a couple hustle plays. Yeah, I mean, if we're comparing it to DeAndre Jordan, we'll get to him. He's been up and down like a, a roller coaster. TLC doesn't have the the requisite skill set or elite, you know, sort of energy that David Nwaba does. Theo Pinson didn't even play tonight. Jean Musa, we know, unless he's he even long long range bombs, you know, obviously he's not going to really do much. So yeah, I think it's probably he's, he's clearly a. Uh, head and shoulders above all the other guys off the bench. And uh, another tweet from Bobby Marks in relation to the Nets and their sort of roster situation. They'll be able to file for a hardship exception after the 28th of December game against Houston. That, that exception allows the Nets to add a 16th player to the roster if the NBA deems that Kyrie and Karras are out for another two weeks. Once the, either player returns, Kyrie or Karras, the player's sign will need to be waived. And uh, it seems like maybe Iman Shepard could be waiting in the wings again, Nick. Yeah, I don't think that they'll be able to get this hardship because I don't think Kyrie or Karras will be out two more weeks, or even if they are, I don't know if the Nets would go ahead and do that. I think it'd be more likely to see somebody cut on this team and Iman Shepard brought back, though. Maybe it's Theo Pinson who didn't get minutes tonight. You know, he looks like he's out of the rotation. Maybe it's Musa or Rodions or somebody has moved, but it seems more likely that Iman Shepard could be back now. I mean, it seems very likely when we spoke about, you know, on the, the podcast and the fact that the skill set that Nawaba has is just a better version of what Aman Shumpert has anyway. You know, I think Aman Shumpert can create his own shot, his own jump shot a little bit better, but Nawaba is better athletically, Nawaba is a better cutter, Nawaba is a better defender, and he's younger. Now, you know, with the, the fact that Aman Shumpert, when, you know, he, was, he tweeted out, you know, the support to the Brooklyn Nets organization, he was like, it was short-lived, but it was awesome. Thanks for, for everything. So, and, you know, obviously the established relationship with Kyrie Irving and, and Coach Kenny in the past too, so... We could see Aman Shumpert um, coming back, and I guess that's a good thing. But it just sucks, this David Nwaba thing, Nick. Injuries in, in terms of sport are the worst thing about it, bar none. Yeah, I mean, especially season-ending injuries. You know, obviously ankle sprains or even, like, the shoulder impingement Kyrie has or, you know, the finger injury Karras has. Like, they suck, but at least they're not out for the season. Where David Nawaba, you know, he worked this entire offseason. He worked his whole life to play NBA basketball, and he's going to miss time. And, I mean, like, getting just to a little bit of the net side, like, it's going to be a hole in the roster even if they bring in Shumper. Like, David Nawaba provided a defensive skill set that they just didn't have. They just didn't have one of those tough wings, and he provides that. I mean, you hope Karras can bring some defensive energy and step up on that level of the floor, but it's it really sucks on, like, both, both ends of the spectrum here. 
Yeah, it does. It's going to be tricky for the team, obviously. Injuries, though, there's injuries plenty in Brooklyn. And, you know, with Kyrie and Karras, still no necessary major news. I know Malika Andrews had a piece on ESPN.com that I've saved in my tabs that I need to still give a read to. But, you know, it's it's patience. And, you know, obviously we should get to the game. But, you know, if we had Kyrie and Karras tonight, if, if Nawaba had stayed healthy... Um, it could have been a different story, but at the end of the day, David Nawaba injured. That sucks. Spencer Dinwiddie, awesome game. That's good. Nets lose. That's bad, obviously. Yeah, I mean, not many Nets played well tonight. And you mentioned having Kyrie and Karras in this game would have been huge. You know, the Spurs went on a 19-0 run in between, uh, bridging that third and fourth quarter, and that just can't happen. The Spurs aren't a good team. You know, they've been good in the past this season. They've been bad. They've probably been borderline, you know, bottom five, bottom ten team in the league. And to just go into San Antonio, obviously it's been tough to win there and blow a game where you had a solid lead in that first half. I just felt like the energy from the start, things were almost coming too easy for the Nets in that first half, and they didn't have to necessarily play super hard. So it was like, oh, we can handle these guys instead of turning up the energy and building up that lead. And that's something that's really killed the Nets. They just don't have that killer instinct. Obviously they're missing their top players, and we can only expect so much out of some of these role guys, but it still hurts. Yeah, I think the Spurs really did ramp it up in the second half and in a big way. You know, you saw the likes of LaMarcus Aldridge playing some decent defense. You know, guys down low were making it really hard on Spencer Dinwiddie, even though he still got to the line 10 times and had a career night. They at least made it tough for him and made it a bit more physical and sort of, you know, sapped the energy out of him. And then they just started hitting shots and the Nets got a little bit, you know, lackadaisical, like you mentioned, Nick. And, you know, LaMarcus Aldridge was hitting every mid-range under the sun and, you know, it was funny, when they did go on the run, it was when LaMarcus Aldridge and DeMar DeRozan were on the bench. But when they came back, they just were able to, to maintain a semblance. And for me, you know, I put it out there that Patty Mills has been, <laughs> it's weird to say, and it's not biased, despite the fact that Patty Mills is an Indigenous Australian and one of the best Australian basketball players in the history uh, of our country. But he was the best player tonight, and the Nets didn't really have an answer for him uh, or, or many others during that 19-0 run. Yeah, no, Patty Mills, I mean, he hasn't been amazing this season, but he got hot, and he killed him. He was hitting threes, all different angles. Even when the Nets fouled him, it felt like he was still going to knock it down. Mills was a huge X factor in this game, and that's kind of been an issue we've had with the Nets in the past is they let these guys get hot, and then you can't cool them off. There's just certain players in this league, and when they get their confidence going, you know, you're not really going to be able to shut them down unless you throw a double team their way. And I mean, you're not going to throw a double team really at Patty Mills, so you're, you're kind of screwed at that point. Yeah, I, I guess we should get to some of the other stuff, Nick. And, and let's get to some of the good. Spencer Dinwiddie was just all-star Dinwiddie tonight. Yeah, they couldn't defend him. I mean, he was killing it. No matter who they put on him, you know, he was able to get to the rim. Yeah, he shot 29 times, but he made 14 shots. And, I mean, he did get to the line 10 times. I felt like he honestly could have been at the line 15 to 20 times tonight. I felt like even times Aldridge defended him and got the quote-unquote block, he was fouling the shit out of him. And that's one thing I will say. I know you harp on the refs probably a little bit more than I do, but I was admittedly vocal on Twitter and just in general. Like my dad uh, had to calm me down a little bit with some of the calls. <laughs> like uh, I've seen Angry know, Jack too. <laughs> you yeah, you know you know what Angry Jack looks like. It's 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 Hulk mode, and I mean it's not as fun as Happy Jack. Speaking about Joe Harris and David Nwaba Jack, but at the end of the day, I, I should stop using my name in the third person, but. <laughs> The DeAndre Jordan moving screen, the Garrett Temple, you know, offensive foul. And it was all from, and I think Billy Reinhardt put it on Twitter as well, you know, friend of the show, that was like the number 65 ref, whatever his name was. It was just ticky-tacky BS 
stuff that you just don't call in the NBA, you let the game flow. And it was just super duper frustrating because the Nets were getting on little mini runs and Spencer would get us back. And then we just lose a possession because of this dumb referee that clearly doesn't know that there's physicality in a non-contact sport. There's still an element of physicality. And Dondre Jordan didn't actually move on that moving screen. He had his arms up, but he didn't move his arms. It was just... Uh, sorry, I really hated sorry. the Joe Harris call where he got called for that foul where Patty Mills ran into his arm. He was off ball. He didn't even have the ball in his hands. Like, that's just something you don't call. And it's extremely frustrating when they call a ton of off-ball fouls on the Nets, and then Joe Harris doesn't get any on the other end. It just drives me nuts because he is consistently moving, and you see guys grabbing and holding him all the time, and it feels like he never gets an off-ball call. Joe's one of those guys that isn't likely to make as much noise as the Spencer Dinwiddie is. I wouldn't have minded. I know that I've probably been more against Coach Kenny, you know, getting a bit vocal and getting the text. At that, at some point tonight, I wouldn't have minded it because I think it would have given the Nets a little bit of energy and that one point wouldn't necessarily have made all the difference. I don't think the, the, the San Antonio Spurs were shooting that well from the free throw line. Well, at least they didn't get there a lot. You know, Paddy Mills, a notoriously good one, only hit four of his seven shots. So I would have liked Coach Kenny to get a little bit more vocal. I don't think this was, uh, and speaking of Coach Kenny, I don't think this was one of his best coaching performances either. Yeah, and even with the free throws, like the Nets did get to the line a lot, but you know the Spurs were fouling, and there could have been more calls like we mentioned. And I think one thing that was a difference, the refs weren't bad in the first half. Popovich was complaining a lot in that first and second quarter, and it felt like he swayed the refs. And I'm not trying to take any shots at him, but this feels like something that happens in San Antonio occasionally, where the refs are almost intimidated by Popovich, where the calls start to sway in the second half. Yo, it, it happened with Chris Paul and, and, and Scott Foster as well in, San, in, in the game against Minnesota. When it comes to these established NBA figures, the referees are intimidated. They're humans at the end of the day. And the Brooklyn Nets, we spoke about them all last season in terms of when it comes to those last two-minute reports and how we, were, we got robbed in, in, in a lot of those situations. The Nets aren't a team to really go out of their way and really bark. Unless Kyrie Irving's on the floor, you know, he's the superstar that gets the gravity that a LeBron James does. And even LeBron James doesn't get a lot of calls that he probably should as well. And Spencer is probably one of the few guys that does it. And I know that some of his teammates don't like it, but a lot of the time... You know, he deserves to be making those arguments because if he's not going to, then the refs aren't going to listen. And at the end of the day, he deserves to be making those calls. He, Like you mentioned earlier, Nick, he deserves to be getting a lot more calls and a lot less calls on the other end for the book and Nets. Co uh, refereeing didn't necessarily, the officiating didn't necessarily sway this game and sway the result, but um, it, it was certainly a factor and it didn't help. Yeah, I think it was a factor, and it's a night where the Nets just didn't play well other than, you know, Spencer Dooney and Jared Allen, and, you know, a lot of guys struggled. So it just sticks out more when your team struggles. If the Nets played well or shot a good percentage from three, you probably don't notice it as much. But because every basket was so crucial and they were struggling so much in the shooting end, I think fouls are just more noticeable in that sense. Yeah, let's get to the centers, Nick. Jared Allen and, and DeAndre Jordan. Jared Allen was, was, was really, really good tonight. Uh, DeAndre Jordan... I can't say the same. Yeah, Jared Allen, I mean, the man had six assists. That might even be a career high for him. That was nice. 13 rebounds, you know, finishing his dunks. He was active on the offensive boards. I think there was a couple times where I would have liked him to be a little bit quicker on Aldridge, especially in those mid-range shots. Yeah. That's some of the net scheme. But, Jared, you're a lot quicker than LaMarcus Aldridge at this point in his career. You can recover if he hits you with a pump fake. Yeah, essentially. And when we saw him recover at the end of the half with that, insane block like that block was monstrous and for those that don't know 
like just watch the the end of the, of the sort of really haphazard end to, to the first half and, and Jared Allen just comes out of nowhere and just snatches the life out of the basketball and you know we know how good of a defensive player he is he's really progressive and offensively second in the league and dunk second in the league in field goal percentage you know he's developing a great niche for himself as a young player and it was it was nice to see the footage of him at his old album Martyr as well and I put out on Twitter Jared Allen is a better person than he is a, a basketballer and I could probably say that for a majority if not every single player this Nets roster yeah they said he signed every single autograph at you know the Jersey retirement so that was what a cool. guy I mean and obviously it's a big moment for him you know playing in your hometown still being a young player you really appreciate these moments but getting to DeAndre this was probably his worst game in a while he just did not have a positive impact out there he was very stiff you know he still got the defensive boards but no offensive boards in this game and you just didn't really feel him out there I think I yelled uh, a couple of times just move box out and it's just like we we spoke about it. He had on the episode. Tims again. He had on the Tims. He had on the he had on the cement Tims, the new cement Tims from the Timberlands. That he did he just didn't move. And like he, he's horrible in transition. And it's it's a stark contrast when you have Jared Allen, one of the the more energetic, you know, fluid guys in in terms of you know running the fast break. One of the fastest on both- centers in the league. I would yeah, I, I would certainly put that up there. He, he's certainly top five, no doubt. Whereas DeAndre. I know he's got athleticism. I know he has spryness because we've seen it. But he just doesn't... Like, I don't understand how you can be as good as you are and then as bad as you are. Like, the ceiling and basement... Well, I, I know I speak about that a lot and I do it on the outlet and JBT and, and on this show too. But the basement level of DeAndre performances, we're like last on the last episode, we're like, oh yeah, well, if this is the basement level of DeAndre, then we'll be happy. You know, he's still rebounding. He's still, you know, moving okay out there. He looks like he's having an impact. And then he has these sort of performances where it's just like, you don't even want him on the roster. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, it's, we have Kevin Durant and, and, and Kyrie Irving, but it, the, this sort of performance, he deserves to be savaged by the coaching staff because it is... Nigh on unacceptable. And he had 11 boards. He didn't have any offensive boards, though. So it shows that he wasn't showing any energy on the offensive end. He had one field goal attempt and he made it. So yeah. it just, he, no, little to, no, in fact, it was a negative impact tonight. Yeah, he was a negative impact tonight. And it felt like, I don't know if this is something physically where DeAndre is older and maybe he needs one of those rest games. I think he got one against Boston, you know, a couple weeks ago in November. And then he came back really spry. Maybe they need to watch him, and maybe they need to give him rest here and there. If Nick Claxton wasn't hurt, maybe it would be a little bit easier. But that's something I might roll with going forward because, like you mentioned, this type of performance is, I don't want to say unacceptable because it's not like the worst thing I've ever seen, but it's not what you expect from a veteran who's supposed to be a very good backup center. And uh, it's not like, you know, uh, I mean, I, I respect And Jacob Aldridge Pertl. and, like, Jakob Pertl aren't that great. They're not amazing, and and DJ can show that he can have an impact. He can be an athletic force, and you know maybe the fact that Spencer wasn't able to find him as much in the pick and roll certainly might have affected him. He wasn't able to get any of his dimes. I, well, he had one assist, but it wasn't certainly you know one of the sort of cutting passes. I think that the the scouting report was was, was done well on that, but. Other than that, Nick, there wasn't a lot that could be said for, for some of the other players, and especially sort of off the bench. I did like Wilson Chandler's performance, though he was minus 21, so I, I think he was probably one of the key performers that was out there during that 19-0 uh, run. And, you know, uh, Timothy Luau Cabarot was, was good enough, but, you know, he didn't impact the box score at all, really. He had a, a, a board. He had a board and he had a turnover. That's, you know... I, it, 
22 L. minutes for TLC is just too much. Like he's, I mean, like he's fun and like we kind of hyped him up over the last couple of shows, but it's more so like Musa and Pinson have been so bad and like TLC is passable. But at the end of the day, he's still not a good NBA player. Like we're still looking at, you know, obviously that's why he's on a two-way contract. We're still looking at TLC, Musa and Pinson as, you know, some of the, no disrespect, some of the worst players in the NBA at this current point. We have now four legitimate rotation players that aren't playing right now. Kyrie, Karras, KD, and Nawaba. Yeah. You take out four guys, of, like, and obviously Nawaba is, is, a, is a bench piece, but you, you have your three best players. You know, Obviously, Spencer Dinwiddie is in that conversation. I'm just saying, generally speaking. If any team, you look at what's happening in Golden State right now when they've got some of their key players out, the Nets are lucky to, to be winning a lot of these games, and a lot of it is on the back of Spencer Dimwini and Jared Allen, and you know, occasional you know shooting flashes from Joe Harris and Toy and Prince. But at the end of the day, the Nets' depth is something that we spoke about and marvelled about in seasons past. Right now, it is as shallow as shallow can be. Yeah, I mean, like you said, you go down three rotation guys, especially you know three of your four best players it's going to be tough to win games. And I think, you know, because the Nets have had so much success with Spencer Dinwiddie being a starter, but some of that's just been the schedule has been really weak and it sets higher expectations. But sometimes you have to look at the roster and like talk to yourself and be like, Hey, you know, this team really isn't that great without these players. They just been overperforming. And when guys have bad nights, like Torian Prince was not good tonight. I didn't think Garrett Temple was good tonight. When two of your five starters are bad and, you know, San Antonio is making a really big effort to shut down Joe you're going to have a hard time winning, especially when your bench is really bad against a bench that, you know, San Antonio's had a good bench in the past, but I don't think they've been amazing this year. And they got really outplayed. Yeah, they, they really did. And in that sort of sense, speaking about Toy and Prince of Garrett Temple, I do agree with you, Nick. You know, Toyin continues to, to really impact uh, in terms of his rebounding. I respect that, but he didn't hit a three tonight. Garrett Temple, again, two of ten, another poor shooting performance from him. You know, some of them were timely. He did get to the free throw line. And, uh, I think I'm, I'm sure I've mentioned this on previous episodes. He is being asked to do too much. Yeah, and he's not this type of player. He's not. He's running the second unit now with Theo Pinson being removed from the rotation. Maybe I wouldn't be surprised if we do see him come back against against Atlanta, especially with Nawaba now injured as well. It's it's tough when you're being forced to play lead the team in minutes in so many of the games despite being 33 years old and not necessarily he has the talent to do so but to be forced to do to play above and beyond what your skill set is like you know when you're a role player which is essentially what Garrett Temple is you know he's not Spencer Dinwiddie he's not Carol Savard he's not Kyrie Irving he shouldn't be you know the Nets third best player but he's sort of being forced to be the third most important player because when Spencer Dinwiddie is not, you know, running the floor, Garrett Temple is our next best player in terms of the guys that are available. And he has to do so much because he's also playing with the starters. He has an incredible defensive load. I don't think he has been playing poor on the defensive end. It's just I think he's being so taxed on the defensive end that it's affecting his offensive game and then some. Yeah, and he's older. He's not used to playing these type of minutes and having this type of workload in. He's not a point guard. He's not a primary, you know, ball handler or playmaker. And asking him to run the second unit is a lot. And that's one of the reasons it struggled. And that's not, you know, any shade to Garrett Temple. That's just not something he really can do. Obviously, Theo Pinson's not amazing. That's why he wasn't playing. And really, I think Theo does an okay job of running the offense sometimes. But then he does some of these. He can't hit a three. He can't make any of his shots. And he gets a little ice feel happy occasionally. So it's like the Nets just don't really have a ton of options with that bench unit. And just to touch on Prince a little bit more. 
It felt like in this game, obviously, it's a hometown game for Torian Prince, too. He was trying to force him to have a big game, and then he just lost his confidence and he was out of it. Yeah, it's it was one of his poor performances, and this is what we can sort of see. Until Torian Prince can bridge the gap between his bad games and his, you know, average to good games, you know, he's not going to, he's going to continue to get um, some continued criticism about different aspects of his game. And for him to only, to not hit a three ball for a guy who has as good from the air as he is, and I, and I know the San Antonio Spurs have a decent enough defensive scheme, but there were times when, you know, he was getting switched out into some shorter guys and, you know, he's able to shoot over them. And, you know, he's normally a decent enough driver. He didn't, you know, impact in terms of his assist numbers. So it was a poor game from him, but, you know, it was a poor game from so many others. And despite the fact that Spencer Dillany was so damn good, it's very, very rare in today's day and age that you can be carried by one player to a win it doesn't matter who the opposition is. Like, unless it's Golden State in their current iteration, maybe the Knicks, maybe the Hawks, and maybe the Bulls, those really, really lowly teams. And even then, you know, the Hawks can be hot offensively. The Bulls can be okay. Uh, at times, they've had a de decent defense. You know, the Spurs have had a horrible season by their own standards, but we got outclassed by them in so many ways. So it's a frustrating performance, Nick, and a frustrating night for Nets fans overall. Yeah, I mean, I'd say only two Nets played well tonight, Spencer Dewey and Jared Allen, and then I'd give Joe Harris almost an incomplete because the Spurs essentially took him out of the game. I think I'd like him to be a little bit more aggressive and, like we've mentioned in the past, maybe shoot a little bit more contested shots or drive to the rim a little bit harder. We saw him actually attempt a mid-range pull-up. Maybe that's something he's going to have to do a little bit more. Kenny's going to allow him to do that because teams are pressing him so hard at that three-point line. He has done it somewhat regularly over the past five to eight games. He just seems comfortable with his skill set right now and comfortable taking whatever shot because he knows that he's going to... And I would love to have a behind-the-scenes chat with some of the assistant coaching staff or Joe. Obviously, I would love to have any one-on-one -on -one time with Mr. Joe Harris, but in terms of just asking... I'm sure Joe wants that at this point. <laughs> yeah, of course he does. Who, who, who wouldn't want to spend time with me and a, and a super fan? Who doesn't love their super fans? Um, but in terms of just diversifying your skill set shows a, a real maturity and a, a willingness to always want to do new things because sometimes yes the analytics say that you know joe you're a three-point shooter and you should be doing your straight line drives to the basket but if there's guys that are, are being guarded well in the perimeter and you've got a rudy gobert down low take that mid-range jumper it's not to say that like you know the analytics are the feel and end all and you have to do every single shot what they say Sometimes you just have to play basketball and take the shots that the defense gives you. And Joe's been doing that a little bit more of late. And, you know, it wasn't his best performance tonight. He did hit a three, but I think the, the Spurs did a, a pretty damn good job of keeping the ball out of his hands on the perimeter. And the Nets probably didn't do a good enough job of being able to combat that. And I'm interested to hear your thoughts today, Nick. We, I touched on it a little bit. In terms of Coach Kenny's performance overall, rotations, you know, adjustments, what did you think of Coach Kennington on in terms of how he reacted and was proactive in different ways? Yeah, I'll just give one more point on Joe before we move on to Kenny. There's no way he should be only taking six shots. Like, he cannot be the sixth, uh, have the six most shots on the team. You know, Torian Prince took more shots. Jared Allen, Garrett Temple, even Wilson Chandler had more shots than Joe Harris. Joe yeah. Harris needs minimum 10 shots. Like I said, if it's mid-range, if it's driving... If he's only getting two threes on the night, I don't care if he takes two bad threes because he's that good of a three-point shooter. He just has to get touches. I think some of it's on Joe being a little bit more aggressive, like we said. You know, 
bad shots for other players aren't bad shots for you, Joe Harris. And then also, this kind of leads to the team getting him more involved, but I think always Spencer's willing to pass it to Joe. I think it's a little bit on Kenny, trying to incorporate different things, or maybe, hey, take some of his minutes away from the starters, put him with that bench unit, give them some offense or something to run, because that's what really killed them. There was no offense or that bench unit. You know, they were settling for, you know, long threes, and the only time they'd have success is getting those two. So I think the rotations are tough, and really on that 19-0 run, think he could have been a little bit more proactive in terms of calling a timeout or being like, hey, I know this isn't normally what I do, but hey, I'm going to put Spencer in real quick, end this run, give him a little extra rest, maybe in the middle of the fourth quarter, and then bring him back. Yeah, I mean, he played 39 minutes the other night, and I, I think that we know how conservative the, the Nets are in terms of taxing their guys, and, and obviously there is another game just in a few days' time too. But, you know, on Joe Harris, you know, obviously the breakdown for Nets Republic on his game, his performance against New Orleans, there was one shot that sort of showed me that Joe is becoming a little bit more confident in taking those bad shots. It was a Drew Holiday closeout, and Joe was, like, hesitant, and then he's just like, you know what, I'm going to shoot this. So for me, I think he has grown in that part, but it's still a, a ways to go, like you said. For him to only take two three-pointers and to Garrett Temple to take 10, obviously some of that is the the opposition and how they are being able to guard you know, a, a guy who is so damn good at what he does and is now one of the elite guys when it comes to perimeter shooting. But he has a good enough skill set to be able to do other things, like we sort of talked about. He's got that mid-ranger. He's very good on the drives. He loves a good little dump-down pass to Jared Allen. He's got good chemistry there. He's a decent passer. He's not a horrible passer. And obviously on the defensive end, he shows effort too. But with Coach Kenny, Nick, you know, I, I'm i always an advocate for just, you know, lulling, stopping the run and just doing like an, an early timeout. I would Especially run, 19-0. Like that's just, that's, it's, it's unacceptable. Like, yeah. it, and obviously, you know, you let teams sort of figure it out and you, you want your guys to sort of, you know, earn these sort of reps along the way. But the Nets aren't like a, a rookie sort of team. And, you know, Coach Kenny isn't Jim Boylan in terms of his NBA sort of, you know, savviness and, and intelligence. He's a smart guy. He should know when to do these certain things. He's had, you know, the experience along the way to know when to make the timeouts. He's had moments where he's, you know, called an early timeout and it's, it's sort of at least halts things a, a little bit, gives you guys a little bit of a rest, maybe make a rotation here or there. I know I would have rather have seen, you know, Jared Allen out there for 35 minutes, 34, 35 minutes tonight, and then DeAndre Jordan for having getting 17. DeAndre Jordan didn't deserve more than 12 minutes tonight. He was, he was very, very, very bad. And that's one thing in terms of Coach Kenny that I didn't like either. He seems to me to be gifting, you know, DeAndre Jordan minutes a little bit too much. You know, obviously he's not going to get DNPs because, especially with Nicholas Claxton's injury. But if DeAndre Jordan isn't, you know, showing the requisite energy and, and, and force that he needs to show on both ends, sub the guy, you know, yank him off. He, like, I don't think, uh, I think it's an unacceptable standard to accept, to just go, all right, well, then we're just going to gift him, we're paying him for the next four years, $40 million. We have to give him 15 minutes a night. No, give him a DNP here and there if, if the time permits and the and the roster permits. Wilson Chandler maybe can play at the five. Torian Prince can play at the five. I don't know. I'm, I'm being a little bit hyperbolic and, and wild with my ideas, but I was really disappointed with, with, with how things sort of turned out and how Coach Kenny was a little bit lackadaisical in reaction. And we have been complimentary of him before. For those that you know haven't listened to the buzz in a while or haven't subscribed on iTunes and all the other platforms, we've been incredibly complimentary of Coach Kenny and his general coaching overall and how he's been able to get the most out of guys. But when he deserves to be criticized, we are going to go, go there. And tonight is one of those nights I think he deserves it. 
And I think minutes have always been something where we criticize him, where we don't necessarily know if it's fully him or if it's a performance team. But tonight, it just felt like Jared Allen, at least give him like 34 minutes. He was just so much better than DeAndre, especially with what the Spurs were trying to do. And then also, like, Spence is cooking tonight. Play the man 36 minutes. Play the man 37 minutes. His workload has been high, but he's been able to handle it the last couple of weeks. You know, he handled it in overtime. I just think sometimes they get a little bit too vanilla, and maybe it's more of like they don't care as much about the season as we do, and the wins aren't quite as important. They're still thinking long-term, but it is extremely frustrating, especially when guys just aren't performing. And then there's other – It's I think the most frustrating thing is that the starters play at such a higher level than the bench. So when the starters don't have substantially more minutes or the bench is out there too long – you know what the problem is. Everyone knows what the problem is. Yeah, again, we, we've touched on the, the minute allocations when it comes to Timothy Lowell Cabrera, 22 minutes. For a guy who is on a two-way contract, it's that, that's not necessarily going to happen in many other teams. But, you know, we, we've spoken about that at length. And, you know, I think Vanilla is a good way of describing it, Nick. Um, my other Nick, Australian Nick, is a, it's his favorite flavor. So maybe he liked what Coach Kenny did tonight. But uh, I know I like some <laughs> chocolate. I like some sprinkles. Give me some Joey Harris on top. Give me some Joe <laughs> Harris drippings and droppings and whatever you want to call it. And, oh, and God. Some, some Spencer Dinwiddie cherries. You know, I'm all about it, mate. Jared Allen put a little bit of Afro on that stuff. It's going to taste really nice. Yeah, I'm going to go with like the swirl flavor. So a little chocolate, <laughs> a little vanilla. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, I'm a bit more adventurous than you are. But, you know, you know live, live life how you want to do it, my friend. <laughs> but, Jack, what else do you want to dive into? We went into most of the players and obviously the struggles. And we don't really have an update on Karis Avert and Kyrie Irving. Obviously, the team desperately needs them. And hopefully, they're back after the Christmas break. Yeah, I mean, it'd be a, a pretty wonderful Christmas present. I know that um, all, all, you know, uh, Passover or whatever you want to call it. What is Hanukkah. It? Hanukkah. Hanukkah, my bad. Hanukkah, whatever, you know, holiday, holiday celebrate. Present. Yeah. And we will do one more episode before the holidays, so we will maybe do a little holiday special on that show. But Yeah, we'll see how we go. But there's, I mean, do we want to speak just more generally, Nick? I know that, like, there's been some talk on podcasts about certain people. You know, Nets Twitter has gotten into certain debates. Do we want to visit those a little bit? Let's dive in. All right. So the big one today was Bam and Abayo versus Jared <laughs> Allen. And I respect the opinion of people saying Jared Allen and, and I guess sort of an, an irrationality in that sort of sense because we watch Jared Allen on a, such a consistent basis that we just see the growth that he has shown and, you know, the numbers are obviously amazing in terms of how well he's shooting from the field. He's an amazing blocker. He's incredibly young. He runs the floor well. He's just, he's a super special young talent. But for anyone who's watched the Miami Heat game, in terms of how important Bam Adebayo is, I'm stealing something from you, Nick. This is coming from credited millionaires, expert NBA-level podcasters and analysts. Zach Lowe and Bill Simmons were debating whether Bam Adebayo is more important than Jimmy Butler to the Miami Heat team and their success so far. Now, I'm not saying that, but when I've watched the Miami Heat play, everyone's comparing Bam Adebayo to a young Draymond Green or to a, a Draymond Green light, but... I think he's a different version of Draymond Green because he has such insane athleticism and, and the ability to actually legitimately switch on to one to five. He is a superb passer. Jared Allen doesn't have a passing game. Yes, maybe not the best time to speak about it when he gets six assists tonight, but in terms of how Bam Adebayo is as a creator and his ability to just impact at a high level, I know 
Corey and I are diving deep into our top 30. I know the ringer had Bam Adebayo at 23 or uh, 24 or 25 in their top 25. I personally think that Bam Adebayo is a top 30 player. I think Jared Allen is a top 60 player. And maybe this season, you know, I'm debating in, in the lower levels of, of the 50s. And I certainly think Jared Allen has a has a conversation, has a, uh, a worthwhile case to be up there. But Bam just does a lot of the things that Jared Allen does well already. And maybe in certain respects you know he is an amazing dunker and he may not have the, the as amazing vertical athleticism but bam does so many other things well that big guys of his stature don't normally do well yeah i mean he has one of the most versatile skill sets on both ends of the floor we're talking offensively defensively touch on the switching he's still a good rim protector can provide good post defense he has some intelligence you know he's developing his basketball iq but offensively you can run the offense room in the high post you know you see the nets do that with the second use with deandre sometimes well bam can do that at a higher level he also can handle the ball he's very comfortable and you'll see him a lot of times just taking getting that first step on a big and it'll lead to an easy layup or a dunk you know Bam just has so many things that he impacts the game in. It's just so huge. No disrespect to Jared Allen, but Bam is on another level right now. Bam is. Bam is playing some all-star level basketball. You know, he, he will be an all-star. He should be an all-star. Um, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how the coaches see it. And obviously, he's a little bit younger, and the younger guys you know, get put to the wayside a little bit, you know, guys like him, Trey Young, whether Trey Young deserves to be there with how the Atlanta Hawks have been performing. But yeah, I'm not saying that I, I disres I'm disrespecting Jared Allen anyway. And I respect the opinions of people who do think Jared Allen is better because there are some things that he does better, but I think Bam is closer. And like I sort of said, into some of the things that Jared Allen does do well. Jared Allen is a perfect sort of complimentary five yep. in terms of just, he does every single thing that a you know, old school, not old, a new slash old school center does. He finishes dumps. He runs the floor hard. He's an amazing rim protector. Bam is a modern unicorn of ways in the, in the fact that his skill set is so diverse in on both sides of the ball. And, you know, Jared Allen could certainly improve there. If Jared Allen had a three ball, like we sort of saw, you know, the most minor of glimpses of, I would be saying, you know, that at least Jared Allen has a three ball and Bam that doesn't. And Bam, you know, I think it's a bit shoddy in terms of his shooting. But he can you know, shoot mid range shots. He's kind of in the Jared Allen boat in terms of developing that three. But he's shown more yeah. ability to shoot in like that elbow jumper, which isn't as important now in the NBA, but it still can have a minor impact. I think it is for for big guys in terms of, you know, Sergio Parker has made it. A, a if you can pass well too, I think it, it gives you a great compliment. You know what I mean? Because then yeah. you have to double respect it. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, maybe we'll put out a poll and uh, maybe that'll, that'll uh, settle it once and for all. But, you know, once we get this episode out there, maybe get a few sound bites, we'll have to wait and see. But, Nick, the last one I wanted to touch on was, I think on the same podcast, Joe Harris got a, a little bit of love. And I think Zach Lowe might have even mentioned that Joe Harris deserves double the contract that he's getting. Uh, I mean, Joe Harris. I think that's it. actually a realistic number for Joe. I've been thinking about it a lot recently. People have mentioned to me on Twitter, do you think, you know, Sai is going to pay Joe? I'm kind of nervous that somebody's going to offer Joe Harris an outlandish contract. Is, is he restricted, though? He's not restricted. The Nets do have his bird right so that they can, you know, give him a big deal. But, like, I'm there's not a ton of great free agents. We know how important three point shooting is. I'm nervous about Joe Harris getting stolen. It's like, it gets to a point, too, is like, you obviously want to do almost anything you can, but at a certain number, you know, you're not going to, you know, pay, play, you know, essentially a role player to do that. One of the best role players, one of the best three-point shooters in the league, it's just like, what number is too high for Joe? 
Yeah, I mean, Davis Bertans has been talked about 16 to $20 million as well. And in terms of the the shallow and weak nature of this free agency class, Joe is going to get paid somewhere. And, you know, he does deserve it. And my boy deserves the Supermax and then some. He deserves all <laughs> NBA honors. He deserves most approved. He deserves all the awards under the sun, be it, you know, from, you know, GQ Man of the Year or Times Person of the Year. Like, Greta sold that award from Joe Harris. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm all, I'm all for climate change. I'm all for it, but... But Nick, you know, Joe Harris, if you've seen his beard, if you saw that video from last year, or it was this year, but the, the video of him shooting and, and that all-star contest and he was shooting the eggs into the basket, he shot over the, the Barclays Center. Wonderful, wonderful things that Joe Harris does. But I am, I am a little bit worried too, Nick. I think that I might be slightly less worried because I've seen, you know, some of the Nets guys take unders. You know, Spencer Dinwiddie might be on the most bargain basement contract in the NBA for what he is producing. It is... I'm not saying it, um, and whether we have any Golden State Warriors listeners, but I'm not saying it's on the same level of what Stephen Curry was on the four years, 42 or $44 million. But Spencer Dinwiddie to be on less than $15 million or less than $20 million with how he's playing is absolute, you know, it's a minor travesty. He, you know, he, the Nets were able to swindle him. And maybe they didn't see this major growth, but he's been sensational. And Joe Harris has obviously continued to grow, but I could see him hopefully fingers and toes crossed i am legitimately doing that right now <laughs> that we do see him in a, in a brooklyn nets uniform until you know he's 48 years old i think he's going to be the <laughs> oldest player he's going to break the record of vince carter as well in, in years to come you know he's going to be shooting threes you know until he's in a wheelchair i really think joe will take a discount but it's question is like isn't the deal that he's going to get offered even bigger than it possibly can like i have no issue giving joe a long-term deal like you mentioned like he's not going to play to 48 but his skill set is not really going to decline He's yeah, 47, guy to, 47 man. He, he's going to be able to shoot threes for a long time. As you get older, it almost feels like sometimes the three-point sh- shooters get even better. You know, you look at Kyle Korver, J.J. Redick, you know, they're not necessarily having peak years now, but you saw in those low 30s to mid-30s, they're still able to perform at a high level. So I'd be happy giving Joe a four-year contract. I'm not really sure what the money number is going to be at, though. Like, I, I really have no idea. Like you said, Davis Bertans is getting some crazy hype. Obviously, it's a little bit different because he can play power forward. He can play that four position. And he's shown more of an ability, I think, to hit contested threes and more, you know, off-balance threes, which Joe doesn't really get into, which we think he can, but he hasn't really shown it enough. So that's kind of hyped up Bertans. And obviously, Bertans has, like, that full-on green light because the Wizards aren't good. Yeah, the Wizards just play offense. They're, they're the Bill <laughs> literally. They're the Bill. They're the Bill Murray of Space Jam. They don't do defense. Like and for for like it's it's fun because I get to speak about that with um, my other Nick, and he's a Wizards fan. But yeah, hopefully Joe Harris is wearing black and white. I will. I'm sad enough already is as it is now. I guess I'm a little bit more perked up chatting with you, Nick. But it was a, a, a I was despondent enough, you know, heading into this podcast and to end on I guess Joe Harrison some positivity and and my man getting paid is a good thing. But I guess it's still you know overall as, as a Brooklyn Nets fan tonight. Um, it's it's not a it's not a nice night to be a Brooklyn Nets fan because uh, there's plenty of um plenty of bad things that happened uh, to yeah. put it you know succinctly. Dis- disappointing loss, disappointing injury. You know, it's just, it really is tough. Jack, we could dive into some more trade stuff, but I think we've talked enough tonight. We'll get out of here. As always, a pleasure. Big thanks, everybody. And you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, otgbasketball.com, netsrepublic.com, and Blue Wire Pods. 
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.